I just wanted to, um, first, um, I want to thank everybody in here for everything that you all did for me um, going through this sickness and with my family. Um, thank you all for the prayers, the phone calls, the texts, the food, the rides to Little Rock. You're my family, and, and some of you have known since I was, you've known me since I was a baby, and I couldn't have made it through this time without each and every one of you, and I'm just, I'm so overwhelmed with greatness and appreciation for every single thing that all of you did, and I just want to say thank you so much, and just bear with me, because I emotional this morning, I guess, so, but I just wanted to kind of share my testimony with you, because I know that some of you were there for a lot of it, but there's so many things that God did along the way that led up to all of this, and I just wanted to share some of those little nuggets that never gets really brought out that really carried me through this, this time, excuse me, so, um, back in February, um, I found a lump in my left breast, and um, being that I just had a baby several, a few months before, I thought maybe it just could be like a clogged milk duct or a cyst, you know, you, you, something minor, you know, I'd started working out like religiously, which I never do, so I thought I was building a muscle maybe I'd never seen before, you know, just crazy things, but... <clears throat> I began to pray over it and ask God, you know, to take it away, make it shrink, whatever. We even prayed over it one night. This was during the prayer and fasting. We prayed over it. And, and I truly to this day believe that that lump shrunk before I got to the doctor because I felt it every day, and it was a little smaller by the time I got to the doctor. But um, one thing before I um, ended up going to the doctor Every single day I would get in my car and I would hear this song, Waymaker, and this other song, I'm going to see your victory. And in that song, it starts out and it says, though the weapon may be formed, it will not prosper. And I mean, every day I would hear these words and I'm like, God, and another one was, I'm going to, um, there's another one in the fire. And um, I would hear it every day and I'm thinking, okay, I don't know why I'm hearing these songs, but there's a reason. So... A few weeks went by, and um, I decided to go to the doctor because it hadn't gone down. So I went to the doctor. <clears throat> she didn't, she couldn't tell what it was, you know, said it's probably just um, a cyst, but I'm going to send you for ultrasound. So because of my age, they wanted to do a mammogram also. So I went to um, have an ultrasound done on a Wednesday. That was March 18th. And um, they did the, ma the mammogram. And then they decided they wanted to do a biopsy. Well, that was a miracle because most of the time they say, you know, we'll call you back for a biopsy. You know, like it's very rare from what I've been told that somebody's there right there and that does a biopsy that day. So they did the biopsy. And even leaving that day, I was just overwhelmed with fear. You know, what if this is something major, you know? And that weekend waiting on the results, I, I kept thinking, you know, I have royal blood flowing through my veins. I'm a child of the king. This cannot happen to me. That cancer cannot happen to me and all these things, you know. And then when I, uh, I just was overcome with fear that whole weekend and someone sent me a message and said, I was praying for you this morning. And I don't know what you're going through, but I just want you to know that the victory is already yours. And I said, thank you, you know, for that word. Well, Monday I went and got my results and found out that it was, you know, stage two breast cancer. <laughs> I'm like, God, you said the victory was mine, though. This is not victory, you know. And the song we just sang, Raise a Hallelujah, before I went to the doctor, the, my husband the night before, he said, you know, no matter what, we're going to raise a hallelujah. And I was like, yeah, this is nothing. I'm going, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I remember walking out of that doctor's office going, how in the world? Do I raise the hallelujah when I just found out that I have breast cancer and I may never see my kids grow up? This may take me out. 
And it was one of the biggest fears that I've ever had in my life is to be taken out by cancer. And I thought, God, I remember sitting in the parking lot and just crying because I could not get over the fear. In that moment, this cancer looked so much bigger than God looked, and my faith was shaken. I've been in church all my life, you know, and I've had a relationship with the Lord for many years. But my faith was really, truly shaken that day. And every bit of any ounce of me of the, of, that believed in healing even was just gone. If you've ever, I know there's many of you in here who have had bad news like that where you just feel like someone punches you in the stomach and you can't even get your breath. And you may not even see like, feel like you can see the next day. And so I went on and we... we we searched for doctors, and we were going to go, I was going to go to um, a doctor in Shreveport. Well, this is all, COVID started happening when all this started happening. The day before I went to the doctor in Shreveport, they ended up shutting the borders down, the Louisiana and Texas. So I'm like, well, I'm going, I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm going to die if I don't get to Shreveport, you know. And many people told me, you know, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. The Lord ended up revealing to me. You shouldn't go. Don't go. There's, an, there's another way. So then I went to a doctor in Longview. And out of desperation, you know, I was just like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to go. I got to get this thing out of me. I, I know I, I knew it was growing. I could feel it growing inside of my body. <clears throat> so I went to the doctor in Longview. Then they start shutting down surgeries. All surgeries are shut down. Nobody can go in doctor's offices. Nobody can go in hospitals, you know. And I remember laying in my bed going, I'm going to die. Like, this is, this is it for me. I mean, there is nothing in my favor right now. And this is just the way God's going to, you know, take me out. We all have a time, and this is my time, you know. And, um, of course, we weren't having church at the time because church was shut down. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I get comfort in, you know, being with people that gathering together in church and, and hugs and you know, and having hands laid on you and all these things, you know, and my, my husband wasn't around because he was in, in prison and I couldn't see these people and these people. And it's just like God was taking away every single bit of comfort from me to totally trust and depend on him and to let me know you do not need these things to make it through this. <clears throat> And I look back now, and it's a lot easier. But at the time, it wasn't easy, you know. And so after I went to the doctor to Longview, I decided I'm going to go to Longview. Well, that following weekend, the Lord had led me to talk to some other girl that had just recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. And she had gone to, she was going to Little Rock. Well, then I talked to two other people. They had gone to Little Rock, and so I knew the Lord was leading me to Little Rock. <clears throat> so that following Monday... I was um, on my way to work, and I was ate up by fear. I mean, you know, if you've ever been in that place, you're waiting on doctors to call. You're waiting. One day seems like a week, you know, and even though I just went to the doctor, I found this thing in February. This is going to be stage four, you know, by the time that they get to it, and this is, this is just it. And I was on my way to work, and I was listening to this song called He's in the Waiting, and the Holy Spirit came over me so strong in my car, and I began to speak in tongues and pray. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you start declaring that you will live and not die, and you will declare the good works in the land of the living. You will live and not die. And I started singing the, and it's that song in Jesus' name, the chorus to that song. And I got on my knees in my house, and I just began to declare and declare and declare and I know that something began to happen, but I still was, I'm going to live, I'm going to live, but I'm still fearful, Lauren. I haven't heard anything from the doctors. So that day went by on the end of the day, and I remember telling somebody that day, I think it's just going to be easier for me to die than to try to find a doctor right now because I'm just not going to get in. And they told me, you can't think like that. You can't think like that, you know. But it just sometimes when you're going through the battle, it just seems easier to just, burning the fire, you know, to keep making your way out. And um, by the end of that day, I finally had just, I threw my hands up and I said, God, 
out of frustration, you are either going to have a doctor call me right now, today, and get me in quickly, or I'm going to die. I mean, that's just, that's just how I felt, you know? And it's like when I finally said, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm done trying to control this. I'm done trying to work this. The doctor called within an hour and a half, probably, of me saying that from Little Rock and said, we can see you tomorrow. That was on a Tuesday. We went on a Tuesday to see the surgeon, and <clears throat> he was saying, you know, this is fast growing. Uh, we need to get this thing out of you. Um, you may have to have chemo, and that was another thing, you know, that we didn't want was that. But the next Monday, he sent me to do bone scans and see the plastic surgeon. The following Friday, I had surgery. I could not have worked as fast as God worked when I finally stepped back and left it in his hands. He worked his magic because that's who God is. When we finally put things, you know, in God's hands and say, okay, I'm done, that's when he shows out. And I, from the time that I found out that I had breast cancer to the time that I had surgery was a month. And there's so many people I had talked to that, they waited a month for a bone scan and then weeks to have a surgery. I mean, it was just God orchestrated every single thing. And I wanted to settle for something that he didn't want for me in Longview because out of desperation. And so many times, he showed me that so many times, you know, we settle for things in our life because we get impatient or we get frustrated or we become fearful of things. And so we just take the first thing that comes our way or we do this or we do that. When God's like, hold on, hold on, let me show you what I have. And once he showed me what he had, he put the best doctors that I, I couldn't ask for better doctors. He led me to every single doctor that I needed to be at. And I am so thankful for that. After um, the surgery went, you know, through and everything, of course, I had to go in there by myself. I never had surgery before. But the day that I began to declare, I will live and not die. I had a peace come over me like I've never had in my life. And there were days that I questioned how. I knew how I had that peace, but you think, how in the world do I have this true peace when I have this thing growing inside of me that could kill me? You know, and I've heard all my life about the peace that passes all understanding. But I never truly understood that peace until I walked through this and felt his hands just carrying me and guiding me along the way. And even when I went into surgery that Friday morning by myself, I never felt alone. I felt a presence with me. When I was in the pre-operating room, the presence of God was so strong and the peace was so strong in that room with me that I, I almost started to cry because I could just feel God with me right there. <clears throat> and he's just so good. He's so good. And the best thing about all of this is God knew that this was going to happen when, before I was formed. And he orchestrated every single piece of my life. And he knew in 2020 that, God forbid, we were going to have a pandemic and I was going to get breast cancer, and all of these things were going to look terrible, you know, but it all worked out in my favor where surgeries were completely shut down, and every surgeon looked at me and said, you're the only surgery that I'm doing right now. I have an empty schedule, and I could do you tomorrow. Otherwise, I would have had to wait weeks possibly if it was still going on. I was able to work from home. <laughs> And so I still got paid. I didn't have to take any time off, which is so my financial blessing. And God's taking care of medical bills. He's wiped away some of the medical bills, and I don't even know how, but I just give God the glory for it. I did have to do chemo, but the doctor said it's not, you know, it's not going to make you really sick, and you're not going to lose your hair. So I was able to keep my hair, and for women, you know, it's kind of a big deal. And I wasn't super sick, and I didn't get all these horrible side effects that they said I would have. And um, God has just been, he's so faithful, and he's so good. And he knew that all of this was going to happen 
way before I did, and he already had it planned out. And it's the same thing with all of our lives. You know, he knows every every single step that we take. He knows everything about every single one of your lives before we even get to it. And even though we're panicking because we're having to try and walk on the water, and God, I'm sinking right now. I'm sinking. He's going, hold on. I've got it. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Just hold on. Just hold on because I'm going to get you through the fire. I'm going to get you through this battle, and you're going to come out on the other side, and you're going to be victorious over this. And that is what the Lord has done for me, and I am so thankful. I go next month to have um, my bone scans done to make sure that the cancer's not in my body anymore, and it's not in Jesus' name, and I'm speaking that in Jesus' name, and it's not coming back in Jesus' name. And I'm declaring that in the name of Jesus. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys and just hold on to your faith. Hold on to God because he's got a plan. He's got a will. And his way is always perfect in everything that he does. Yes. Amen. Thank y'all. Yes. Come on, give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. Great are you, Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout and a clap. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus.
of your people this morning, God. We love you. We love you. You have been so good to us, God. There is none on hev in heaven or on earth like you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you have been so good. So good. So faithful. So faithful. God, we're just grateful to Hallelujah. be in your presence this morning. Just to stand before you. God, I worship you. And proclaim your name. God is the greatest honor that we could ever enjoy. We thank you, God. We thank you. Come on, if God has been good to you, just look at someone you're sitting beside and say, He's been good to me. He's been faithful to me. Oh, come on. Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word, that your word stands strong and secure. Lord, help us to turn our hearts to your word so that we can live a life of faith and so that we can watch you work, watch you do miracles, watch you show out and show off in our lives, God. You have been so good, so good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Come on, someone say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Wow. You know, I think God has a word for us this morning. I really do. I really do. He's already been speaking even before the, the, the preaching has begun. The preaching has already started in this place today, and I'm excited for the word that he's been speaking this morning. Amen. God, I pray that your word would sink down, God, not just to, at an ear level, not just uh, at, a, at a mindset level, God, but I pray that your word would sink down deeply inside of our hearts, God, that it would cause us to move, that it would cause us to change and to take actions not only in our lives, but in the world around us. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. Amen, amen. Yes. Wow, well, welcome to Calvary. Hope you feel at home here this morning. So good to hear of the wonderful things that God has done in Starla's life and the testimony that she has now because of it. It's absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful testimony. Uh, my name is Sam. I'm the youth and children's pastor, and uh, I want to take a moment just to honor Brother Billy and Sister Peggy being the most wonderful pastors in the world once again, for giving me this opportunity to be here. I know we're all looking forward to, to hearing the word that, that he has prepared for us this next week. He's given me the opportunity to, to speak last week and this week, and so we're going to kind of carry on from what we, we talked about last week. Uh, the title of this little mini-series that we're talking about is called Faith Is... Faith is. We're talking about what faith is because we mention faith a lot in the church. We mention faith a lot uh, in our homes. If you've been raised in a Christian home, uh, you, if you have Christian friends, you know, you, you'll hear them say, just have 
faith. And, and I love the testimony that Starla brought this morning that sometimes faith isn't easy. And sometimes you begin to doubt your faith. And sometimes you begin to wonder if I even have any faith. And so we hear this word a lot. It's not a, a, a word or a term that's foreign to us. Yet, a lot of times we don't really talk about what faith truly is. And so last week, we answered the question, what is faith? We talked about how faith is what makes us right with God. According to God's word, faith is what makes us right with him. It's what makes us righteous, not our actions, not our deeds, but our faith. And then we talked about how faith is how we please God. God is pleased when we have faith. Well, this week, we want to look at the question, how do I get faith? Like, faith is good. Faith is what makes me right with God. Faith is how, I please, with, is how I please God. But how do I get Where does it come from, and how do I get it? So we're going to start off right off the bat with Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It simply says, so faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. That is where faith comes from. It comes from hearing the good news about Christ, the gospel. So If you have your Bibles, please turn them on to Genesis chapter 2, and uh, we're going to spend just a moment in Genesis 2 and uh, Genesis 3, and then here in a moment, we're going to skip over to John 4. So if you want to look at a portion of Scripture in your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 2 and John chapter 4. Also, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can pull that up and uh, click on the bottom right-hand button on that app. It says More. And then uh, there will be a button that says events. You can click on events, and it will find you through the location services, and it will put you right here at Calvary Tabernacle. You click on the button that says Calvary Tabernacle, and it will pull up all the scripture references that we'll be using today, as well as it's a great place to take notes uh, for future studying too. So I want to let you know you're welcome to do that. So faith, where does it come from? Here's the really good news. I I love the, the testimony. Starla said there was a moment where she doubted that she even had faith. But here is the really good news. Faith doesn't come by some merit of our own. Did you know that faith is given to us by God? It's given to us by God. So Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says this, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Faith was given to us by God. Let's read Jude chapter 1, verse 3. They're going to put it up on the screen. It says, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else. Urging you to defend the faith. Someone say the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Now, I'm reading from the NLT. It says that God entrusted this faith to his holy people. You may be reading from the King James or New King James or ESV, and it says that God has delivered this faith to the saints. It was delivered. So we know that our faith isn't something that we have to conjure up. It's something that God has already given. Can I boldly say this to you today? It doesn't matter what you may be going through in your life right now. You have all the faith that you need to navigate all of life's uncertainties because faith is given to us by God. And that is wonderful news. That is wonderful news. So that's point number one today. Really short, really simple, really sweet. Faith was delivered to us by Jesus. Faith was delivered to us by Jesus. Now, I've only got two points today, and I want to spend a little bit more time on point number two. And this is point number two. If you're taking notes, write this down. Point number two is take him at his word. Take him at his word. Where does our faith come from? We read it in Romans. Faith comes by hearing the good news of Jesus, by hearing the gospel. This is where our faith comes from, the word of God. If you've ever been in a moment in your life where you thought, I just don't know if I have faith that God can heal my body. I just don't know if I have enough faith for God to save my children. I just don't know if I have enough faith to fill in the blank. 
Listen, the wonderful thing about faith is you get it, you receive faith, the faith that was given to us by God, by reading his word, by listening to his word. Here's a thought for you today. Did you know that God created you to live by faith? To live by faith. All right, I need y'all to fill in the blank, all right? I will believe it when I... Seeing is, so we've all heard this for so long. I'll believe it when I see it. See, what happens is God didn't create us to live with that kind of mentality. God created us to live by believing in his word. We're going to look at that here in just a moment in Genesis chapter 2. But here's the beautiful thing about this. God created us to take him at his word. But somewhere along the way, we've been hurt. We've been abused by words. We've been let down by people that should have been the ones to love us and nurture us and take care of us. There have been broken promises that have happened in our lives. So what has happened is we have retrained our minds to not take people at their words. I'll believe it when I see it. You're telling me this, but I am not going to believe that until I see it. And we think that that's the appropriate way and the safe way to live. But let me tell you, that is not God's way to live. It is not. God created us to take him at his word. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says, Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but people live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Listen, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 right here, and he tells, he gives us this outrageous idea. You were created to live on the word of God. Listen, listen, not the miraculous things of God. Ooh, not the actions of God. It doesn't tell us to live on the hand of of God, it tells us that we should live by the word of God. How do we get faith? We get it by the word of God. That is how God created us to live. He didn't create us to live our lives based on our emotions or our feelings, not by our conscience or our ambitions or our culture or our motivations. Listen, not even your political leanings. <laughs> God created us to live by his word, by his word. So let's look in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read a story about good old Adam and Eve. Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, listen, this is the, it's quoting God right here. It says this, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then listen, this is, this is the punishment if they were disobedient here. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, we are all familiar with this story. You don't have to have been in the church for 30 years to know the story of Adam and Eve. What happens? They did the one thing, literally the one thing God told them not to do. They ate of the one tree in the middle of the garden. And I, for so long growing up, I always thought, wow, that was so mean of God to put a tree in the middle of the garden and tell them, you can't eat of it. Look at its fruit, it looks good, but you can't eat it. And I used to think, that's so mean. That's so messed up. But listen, that's my carnal thinking, my carnal believing. Here's the, here's the good news. God created them an entire garden full of all kinds of trees, all kinds of fruit, all kinds of good things. Listen, the, the concept of tithing, I know a lot of people, well, I don't want to go to church. All they talk about is tithing. All they talk about is giving money. Well, listen, it's not a church concept. That's a God concept. Even at the, from the very beginning, God said, do not touch what is mine. This is mine. You can have of everything else, but save this, reserve this for me. This is mine. God gave them the word, and we see 
what happened with Adam and with Eve. They sinned. But let's look and see what God said in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, here's Adam. I heard you were walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Look at what God says to him right here. Look at these next words. Who told you that you were naked? Notice this. God doesn't just come right out the gate. Oh, my goodness, you sinned, didn't you? You ate of the one fruit of the tree that I told you not to. How could you have done this? No, no, no. He doesn't, he doesn't come out with that. What does he come out with? Who told you? Listen, this is what God is saying. What other voices have you decided to believe in? See, God gave them the word, don't eat of any other tree, but they did. And it's not, listen, we, we talked about this last week, the first and the most original sin in the Bible wasn't disobedience. The first sin in the Bible was unbelief. They chose to listen to and believe another word. What happens? God gave them the word, told them, do not eat of this tree. And then here's Adam and Eve and the serpent. And the serpent says, hey, if you eat this fruit, it will be good for you. It will make you like God. Here's the cool part about this. They were already like God. The Bible tells us that God made man in his image and his Come on, help me out. And his likeness. They were already like God. But this other word was presented to them, and they chose to believe another word over the word of God. Listen, if we're going to have faith, we're going to have to learn to choose which word we're going to listen to and which word we're going to believe. Because God, he, he's not, as, I know this may sound outrageous, he's not as concerned with our disobedience as he is with our unbelief. Listen, disobedience will not send you to hell. That sin will not send you to hell. The sin that sends people to hell is the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of unbelief. Listen, after Adam and Eve sinned and God confronted them, this is, he started dishing out his punishment to Adam and Eve and the serpent. And this is what he says to Adam in Genesis 3, verse 17. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife, and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Listen, since you listened to another word. If we're going to have faith, we have to learn to hear and to listen to the word of God. So here's my next question to you. What voice are you listening to the most in your life? Because I know it's really easy, especially in this day of time, it's really easy to listen to our friends. It's really easy to listen to social media. I think a lot of us do way too much of that. <laughs> I think it's really easy to listen to Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or ESPN or MTV or BET or KFC, whatever acronym you want to listen to. I, listen, I don't know which voice you're listening to, but this is what I do know. We will tend to believe the voices that we listen to the most. And God is telling us, hey, I want you and I created you to live a life on my word, taking me at my Word. Wow. Luke chapter 18, verse 8 says this, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? How many will he find? Listen, whenever Jesus comes back, there's one thing that he's looking for, faith. He's looking for those that have chosen to take him at his word. Not just living by our sight, not just living by our vision, 
but living on the word of God. There's a parable that Jesus taught, and in this parable, he speaks of a rich man who died. And at the same time, there was a a poor man named Lazarus who also died. And in his story, the rich man goes to hell, and he's in this place of eternal torture and torment, and he's there in hell, but he sees off way far in the distance this poor man, Lazarus, and he's sitting beside Abraham at a heavenly banquet. This is a a fictitious, made-up story by God to, to prove a point. It's what a parable is. And so the rich man, he screams out to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, come and give me some relief. Just dip your finger in some water and put it on my tongue. I need relief from these flames. And Abraham said, I I can't do that. Even if I wanted to, I can't get to you, and you can't get to me because there's a great chasm here between us. And so uh, the rich man says, at least send Lazarus back down to earth to warn my brothers so that they don't end up here too. And Abraham said, why would I do that? God has already given you Moses and the prophets. In other words, the word of God. Let them read that and they'll believe. And, and the rich man said, no, 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 Abraham, you don't understand. They won't believe just by reading the word. But if you sent someone back from the dead, then they would see it and believe. Some will say see it. And this is what Abraham said. This is the story Jesus is speaking. And in this story, this is what he says Abraham said. Your brothers will not believe even if someone comes back from the dead. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even though they see something miraculous. See, here's the thing with us. A lot of the times we have this same mentality. God, I just want to see a miracle. I just want to see you heal heal someone who's blind and then I'll believe in you. But the moment God heals someone that's blind, we think, "Ah, I don't know. Were they really blind? Or, I mean, were they legally blind or just kind of blind? Or like, you know what? I don't know. We, we try to make up these excuses or, or try to think of a natural solution for the miraculous thing that took place. Did you notice that God doesn't just do miracles just to show off? In fact, so many times in the Bible, whenever he performed a miracle, what did he tell the people? He said, he said don't tell don't tell anyone what, what happened here today. And I used to always think, why? Like Jesus, if everyone told of all your miracles, everyone would, would love you. They would, I mean, they would believe in you. Your, your following would be huge. It would be great. But see, that's not the way faith works. Faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. I want to show you a video Real quick, so let's let's all look at the screen here. Today we're going to play a game specifically designed to test your spatial awareness. Meet the Brain Games Double Dutch Team. Now, what does jumping rope have to do with the brain? Well, Double Dutch requires off-the-chart spatial awareness, and today these kids are going to help us test yours. For this game, all you have to do is keep track of the number of times that either of the girls in green jumps. You'll count each time one of them lands a jump, like this. One, two, three, four, five. As you can see, these jumpers are pretty quick on their feet, so you're going to have to pay attention to keep up. When the whistle blows, start counting. Ready? Go. So, how many jumps did the green team make? Did you say 38? If so, you agreed with 40% of our test audience. (laughs) Now, some of you may be onto us, but for those of you who aren't, did you happen to notice anything else going on during the double dutch? Maybe a giant chicken strolling right through the middle of the set and doing a funky chicken dance? 
Now, some of you may have missed that funky chicken, but many of you probably saw it, and that's okay, because the chicken was just there to distract you too. Here's the real question. What color was the wall behind the double dutch game? Here's a hint. It wasn't the same color at the end as it was when they started jumping. The back wall was changing color the entire time, from bright blue to bright red. Nearly everyone misses it, but why? It turns out there's far too much information coming in through the eyes at any given moment for the brain to fully process all of it. As a result, the brain has to act like a spotlight, focusing our attention on some parts of the scene, but not others. Now, most of you were probably paying attention to the jumpers, and some of you may have suspected that something strange was going to happen, and so you saw the chicken. But you probably weren't paying attention to the back wall. And what we don't pay attention to, we don't see. And uh, hey, for those of you who managed to catch everything so far, did you notice that we also swapped the rope turners out halfway through? Gotcha. Well, that was fun. How many of y'all caught all of that? <laughs> Did anybody see the chicken the first time? <laughs> see, this is what God is, is, is saying to us, too. I, I like the quote this man said. He said, what you don't pay attention to, you don't see. And the same goes in our life whenever it comes to faith. If, you, if you're saying, man, I don't know if I have faith for this situation, it's probably because you've been listening to a lot of other voices and you've been focusing in on the voices that really don't matter much so that whenever God's trying to speak, whenever God's trying to, to get a hold of your attention, you don't even notice it. Even though it's right there in front of you, even though his word is on your coffee table every day, even though he's there alive and willing and able and wanting to speak to you every day, a lot of times we don't hear it. A lot of times we miss him because we're listening to another voice. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 8, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. It says, trust in the Lord with most of your heart. No? What was that, Brother Ken? All. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And he takes it a step further. Don't lean on your own understanding. I think so many of us, whenever it comes to faith, it's hard for us to really grab a hold of faith because we tend to go as a first resort to our experiences. And instead of listening to the word of God, we're listening to our own experiences. Well, I don't want to be hurt again. Well, I don't want to fail again. Well, I don't want to hear them say that to me again. And so we will tend to listen to ourselves, our own voice, our own understanding. And this is what God says, no, 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 no. If you want to live by faith, you have to trust in me with all your heart, with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Listen, church, we were made to live by faith. We were made to take him at his word. Whenever God spoke to Adam and Eve, his intentions were that they would take him at his word, that they would believe him whenever he said that if you eat from this tree, you are sure to die. He was hoping that they would just believe him at his word. See, with my son, my four-year-old son, he's almost five, I try to tell him things to keep him from getting hurt with the hopes that he will just believe me. Like, I don't want him to have to experience a car wreck to know to drive safe. I just want him to take my word. One day whenever he gets older, son, be careful. Drive slow. Keep both hands on the wheel. Keep your eyes on the road. Use your blinkers. Like, I don't want him to have to figure out that car wrecks are bad by experience. It's the same with, I don't want him to touch a hot stove. I will tell him, Jack, do not touch the stove. Don't ever put your hand on the stove because it may still be hot even after a pot isn't on it anymore. Well, I want him to take me at my word. I don't want him to be like, well, I wonder if it's really that hot. I, I wonder if it will really send me to the hospital if I touch it. Like, I don't want him to experience those things. 
listen, I've heard some people say experience is the, the best teacher. Well, here's the truth. Experience is the harshest teacher. Experience may be an effective teacher, but it's not a good teacher. I can tell you who the good teacher is, and his desire is that we just take him at his word. Take him at his word. I want to look at one more story in the Bible. This is beautiful. John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. As Jesus traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a government official in nearby Capernaum. Someone say nearby. That's going to be important in a minute, so don't forget that. This man's son was very sick, and when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Look at what Jesus asked. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. Wow. And he asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, Your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Y'all, this is good. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, warm your finger up because we're about to get into it. Here's this man coming from nearby Capernaum. Capernaum to Galilee is 16 and a half miles. That's it, 16 and a half miles. And this man's son is on the verge of death. He's about to die. And so he goes to Cana where he hears that Jesus is. He hears that Jesus has done the miraculous. And so he comes to Cana and he says, Jesus, please come back with me now so that my son will live. He's about to die. Please come with me. And Jesus says the most inappropriate thing at the most inappropriate time. Or is at least it would seem that way. He doesn't, he doesn't do the pastoral thing and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll go with you. Let, let's pray real quick before we leave. Jesus doesn't do that. It seems kind of harsh in this moment. He says, will you never believe me unless you see a miracle? I can imagine being the father. My son is on his deathbed. I can imagine being the father and being like, Jesus, Listen, I just need you to come back with me and heal my son. Did you realize that in this story, Jesus denied him of the very thing that he asked for? Jesus, come back with me and heal my son. What did Jesus do? He didn't go back with him. Jesus almost acted like he was a little bit annoyed. And, and trust me, I know he wasn't because we see how the story turned out. But here's was Jesus' response. Go back home. Your son will live. And I don't know if there was more that happened that, that John doesn't tell us about. I don't know if Jesus, you know, gave a little reassuring wink like, don't worry. Your son will live. Just go back home. I don't know what happened. I don't know what Jesus' tone was like. But what I do know is the boy lived. The boy was healed. And what I also know and what I believe is it's because the father had faith. He had faith. Listen, this is what it says. Um, Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said. He believed 
what Jesus said. That's what faith is right there. It's believing the word of God. The man believed what Jesus said, not what Jesus did. He believed what the word of God was in that moment. He believed what Jesus said, and he started home. Here's how I know that this man had faith. It's because it tells us that on his way home, he was met by some of his servants who came with the good news, your son is alive, your son is well. And the man asked him, when did this happen? And they told him, yesterday, someone say yesterday. Yesterday, about one o'clock. And the man said, oh, that was the exact time that Jesus said he would be healed. Someone say yesterday. How far is Capernaum from Cana? 16 and a half miles. The average walking pace is 3.1 miles per hour. At that pace, the average walking pace, not a quick, not a swift walking pace, not a run. The average walking pace is 3.1 miles an hour. It would have taken him less than six hours to get home. It's 1 p.m. in the afternoon when Jesus gives the word. And the his servants came back with the word, he was healed yesterday at 1 p.m. Now, the Jewish calendar, the traditional Jewish calendar, it works a little bit different than our calendar. Their day doesn't start at 12 a.m. midnight. I honestly have no idea why we use that system or any of the systems that we use here in America. Why is 12 inches a foot? That doesn't make, just make 10 inches a foot. Like, make it easy on us. Like, I don't, the metric system seems so much easier. But anyways, I digress. Their day didn't start at 12 a.m. Traditional Jewish days started at 6 a.m., which makes complete sense because that's when the sun starts coming up. Like, why, why, anyways. So this man started home after Jesus gave the word. It says the man believed what Jesus said and started home. He began walking at 1 p.m., but we see it's not until the next day, at least after 6 a.m., that his servants came because they told him that the boy was healed yesterday. So let's do a little bit of math here. You ready? So we got 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the evening, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 10, 11, that's already 10 hours. 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Anybody do the math? 17 hours, at least 17 hours later. This man hurried from Capernaum to Cana to ask Jesus to come back. But whenever Jesus gave the word, the man believed the word. And because he believed it so deeply inside of him, he wasn't even in a rush to get back home. He didn't even have to, as a father, I probably would have been like, he'll live, right, Jesus, he'll live? Okay, all right. And I would be booking. It would not take me six hours to go 16 miles. I, I mean, I would be running as fast as I possibly could. It definitely wouldn't take me 17 hours to go 16 and a half miles. But I believe this man had so much faith in the word from Jesus that in his mind he's thinking, I'm not in any hurry. I'm not in any rush. Jesus said he would be healed. I believe he will be healed. Listen, that's the way God created us to be. He created us to take him at his word. The man didn't have to hear the report from the servants to know that Jesus was legit. He believed Jesus was legit when he got the word. And that's the way that God created you and me to be as well. Wow. Wow. God created us to live by faith and not by sight. He created us to live by his word and not by our experiences. He created us to live by faith and not by a logical knowledge. I want you to look at someone you're sitting beside and say, God made you. Go, go ahead, go ahead. You can do it. To take him at his word. 
God made you to take him at his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I'm going to close with this in Acts chapter 2. We read an incredible story. The disciples and the believers, followers of Jesus, were all gathered together in the upper room. And and they started speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And apparently it was so much of a commotion that even unbelievers were drawn by what they heard and by what they saw. And they hear this sound of mighty rushing wind, and so they all come to where the sound is coming from. But what happens is, the Bible tells us in Acts 2 that many people kind of blew them off, just disregarded them and said, oh, these people are crazy. They're just drunk. See, God created us to live by hearing the word of God. And whenever these people heard the sound of the rushing wind, they came, but they let experiences, oh, you ready? They let experiences tell them what was happening. And instead of believing that God was moving in that place, a lot of people started to say, they're just drunk. These men are just crazy. They're out of their minds. And so what happens? Peter gets up and he begins to preach. And look at this verse. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him, they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What must we do to be saved? I love this. This is so beautiful. Because in this moment, they had seen what they thought was this drunken stupor, this wild party. But Peter got up and he delivered the gospel message. And the people heard it with their ears. And their response is, what must I do to be saved? God created us to live by faith. Look at this next verse right here in verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, and we've only got about an hour and a half left here this morning, so. And he strongly urged all of his listeners. I love the word of God. It is so good. It didn't say he strongly encouraged all of his congregants. He strongly encouraged all those who were looking on. It said he encouraged his listeners. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed, those who had faith in what Peter said, and what Peter said was the gospel, the good news of Jesus, those who believed the gospel were baptized and added to that church that day about 3,000 in all. So I want to stand here and encourage you this morning. If you find it hard to believe in God for a certain situation in your life, can I encourage you just to take him at his word? (laughs) Take him at his word. God put Adam in the garden. The Bible says that he gave him two responsibilities. The first was to tend the garden. The second responsibility was to watch the garden. And I love this. That word tend means to till or to cultivate the soil. Adam's responsibility wasn't to plant the seeds. Adam's responsibility wasn't even to harvest the fruit. Adam's responsibility was to make sure that those seeds had a good soil to be planted in. Listen, the word of God is the same for us. It's a seed that goes into us. Can I ask you this? Have you been tending the garden of your heart? Have you been tending the garden of your spirit? Have you been cultivating that soil with the word of God? And the second responsibility is he said to watch it. And that Greek word there means to guard it. Guard it from the birds that try to pull up the sprouts. Guard it from those pesky squirrels that try to steal all the fruit. Guard it. We have to guard the word of God in our hearts because there's going to be a lot of times where it's going to feel like, as Starla mentioned today, that I don't feel like I even have any faith. It's in those moments you've got to stop yourself and say, wait, no. 
The Bible tells me that Jesus delivered faith to me. And the Bible tells me that if I would just listen to the word, my faith would grow. So this week, this is what I want to challenge you to do. And we're going to pray. This week, I want to challenge you to take two hours, one day this week, set aside time. If you've got kids, hire a babysitter. Like, we hire babysitters for all kinds of things that aren't even necessary sometimes. Listen, this is something that's vital to us. If we want to live by faith, we have to get in the Word of God. And sometimes that means you have to set aside some specific time to dive into the Word. Spend two hours this week and get into the Word of God and have a real conversation with God without distractions. And watch your faith grow. Because faith comes from hearing, hearing the Word of God. Jesus, we thank you for your Word. God, I pray that we would be a people that lives by faith, Lord, that we wouldn't be skeptical of what's happening around us. We wouldn't be skeptical uh, so much to, to be skeptical of your word, God, but that we would live as a people of faith. We would live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to take you at your word, even whenever life is crazy, even ever, whenever situations seem out of our control. God, I pray that we would be people that take you at your word. We thank you for your word, that you didn't leave us here without it, but you were so gracious and so loving to give it to us freely. I thank you for the opportunities we have to read your word, to study your word, to listen to your word, and I pray that we would take advantage of every opportunity to do that. And Lord, we look forward to seeing what you will do in our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. The Bible tells us in Mark 16, that miracles follow those that believe. In other words, belief has to come first, and then the miracles are going to happen. So I believe that miracles are going to start following us this week. Amen. I love you so much, church. Hug someone. Tell them you love them before you, or don't hug somebody. Sorry. Social distance. Forget, scratch that. Not that. Uh, but tell someone you love them before you go. Love you so much.